Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab that or turn it on, and we are going to be in Exodus chapter 20 once again. We're going to be looking at some other passages of scriptures alongside of this, but we are now at the third commandment this morning. We've been uh, just kind of walking through, journeying through the Ten Commandments together. I, I think it's important to stop since we've been kind of like three weeks through now. Stop for a second and go over why it is that we are kind of going through the Ten Commandments in the first place. Because a lot of people say, well, that's in the Old Testament. Even in church, people say, that's Old Testament. Christ fulfilled the law, and when they say fulfilled the law, what they're really saying is Jesus basically erased the law, and now there's only two things. Like, love God, love people, and, 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 and that's it. It's all love, baby. But it's not simply that. The Ten Commandments is a moral code by which we should live our lives. And what we're finding out, that this is not just to be uh, uh, something that is restrictive. It is something to be a guide for our lives. It lives and breathes with us. See, some people say, they look at the Ten Commandments and they say, man, that's just archaic, it's outdated, it's restrictive, and it's something that we don't necessarily need in our society anymore because it's something that comes from a God that most people in our society don't even believe exists. And if he does exist, he's not interested in our good, he's only interested in our service. That's a wrong view of God. The other people believe that the Ten Commandments, and this is where a lot of Christians lie today, the Ten Commandments are basically just a litmus test of your faith. So if you're a really good Christian, you're going to follow most, if not all, of the Ten Commandments. And the ones that you break, well, that's the ones you need to work on so that you can be a perfect Christian. Well, that's a wrong view of it as well. So you say, well, I want to remember them so much that I'm going to have them memorized. I'm going to have them posted in my house. I want them posted in every courthouse. And I'm going to judge other people by whether they follow them or not. And a lot of times, if if we're honest, we're going to judge people more harshly than we judge ourselves when we see them breaking the commandments, don't we? Oh, maybe it's just me, right? Uh, didn't mean to lay that guilt trip on you this, this fast into the message already today. But the commandments were really given to do a couple of things. And this is what I'm hoping and praying that we're seeing through this series is, number one, they give us a detailed look at the very character and the true nature of God, that he is holy, that he is perfect, that sin cannot be a party to God and God cannot be a party to sin. But it also, not only does it give us a clearer picture of God, it gives us a clear, unadulterated, unfiltered view of our heart. And it ain't pretty. That's why we use filters in, in Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and all that stuff now, because when, the, when it's just all stripped down to where it's just bare and raw, it's not as pretty as those filters could be, right? You know, especially when you get those filters like on Snapchat where you put dog ears on your head, and you open your mouth and the tongue pops out. Some of you ain't getting that. All right. But anyway, some of you are doing that right now. You're watching on live stream. You got, you got dog ears on me right now. That's what you've done. Okay, so but this is this is the thing that we do. We try to put filters on everything. We look at our lives. We look at our hearts, which the Bible says is what desperately wicked. Right. But we try to put filters on that. We look at those things which prove that we're desperately wicked and we do a couple of things. Number one, we either run away from it so we don't have to deal with the truth of the matter or we try to say ah, it's not so bad. We try to dress it up and make it look good and try to cover it up and try to make it look pretty and present ourselves. But all the while, the Bible still says it's sin. And it has the same wage. It is death. It is, it is uh, distance from God. 
So rather than restrict us, the Ten Commandments are there to show us how to live well, how to live as representatives of God once we've taken his name. This is what Israel had learned. Israel had learned a lot of reverence for the name of God. Because if you remember just a chapter ago in, in, in chapter 19 of our text, what had happened? God had said, Moses, I want you to come up and I want you to, I want you to sit down and meet with me and I'm going to give you the laws. And he said, but here's the thing. I need you to put a barrier around this mountain that I'm on the top of, Moses, because if these people approach my presence, they will not live to tell the tale. Because that's how holy, that's how immense, that's how righteous God is, and that's how small and not immense and how unholy we are. We cannot stand in the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant, someone could not touch it. They had to put wooden handles on it to carry it. If they but touched the golden parts of the covenant, they would be stricken dead. They wouldn't even write the name of God without taking special care when they were copying down scriptures on the scrolls. The main job of the scribe within the temple was to spend his entire day, his entire life, just writing copies of the scriptures and copies of the scrolls because they didn't have Xerox printers and they didn't have the printing press or anything like that. So their holy job was to copy scripture down. And when they copied scripture down and when they came to the name of God, which was just a few words or a few letters, W-H-Y-H-W-H, it was the name Yahweh. It was considered too holy to even speak. It was considered too holy to just include with other things. So what the scribes would do, each time they came to the name Yahweh, they would get up, they would go take a bath, they would change clothes, they would come back, they would grab a new quill and new ink, they would write the name Yahweh, then they would get up, they would go and they would take a bath, and then they would change their clothes and they would come back and they would continue writing the rest of it. Then when they came to Yahweh again, they would do the same thing every single time. You say, that seems like a big waste of time. But when you look at it the way at it, as people who historically knew that you have to be reverent with the name of God, they said, it ain't a waste of time. I'm preserving my life and I'm reverencing my God. And how would you feel? How much longer would my sermons be if every time I came to say God or Jesus, hold on for a second, I'm going to dump myself in the baptistry, go change my clothes and come back and then we'll continue on with the service. We'd never get through. You're already thinking we never get through, right? But this is what they would do. This is how they reverenced God and his name and the holiness of his name as well. Now let's compare that with the way we use the name of God today in our culture, even within the Christian culture as well. Here's what Deuteronomy 6.24 said. Deuteronomy 6.24 said this. This is why the commandments were given. It says, The Lord commanded us to follow all of these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity or for our good always and for our preservation as it is today. The people of Israel in the Old Testament knew that God was their provision. There were many times when they forgot it and they veered away from it and they were always reminded when God was removed from the picture, the picture got really bleak. And so the reason God gave these commandments was not so that he could prove his might and power and lord over our lives and we could prove just how much we love him by doing everything. Yes, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But he doesn't say, if you keep my commandments, it tells me you love me. What he says is, as you love me, it is your joy to follow him. It is your joy and gratitude to obey him. So the commandments were given for our good, not for our restriction. It's not some checklist that's going to affirm some sense of personal holiness in my life. Because every time I have a sense of personal holiness in my life, you know what I do? I begin to look down my nose at other people that aren't so holy. So when we have these checklists that we follow, it becomes very easy for us to become prideful in our lives. So today, let's look once again at Exodus 20, and let's look beginning in verse number 1. We're going to read all the way down to verse number 7, and 7 is going to be our key text for the day. 
says, then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the, pace, out of the place of slavery or out of the place of bondage. And then he says, do not have any other gods besides me. That's commandment number one. We've talked about that. And then he says, do not make an idol for yourself. That's commandment number two. Whether in the shape of anything in the heavens or, in, or above or on the earth below and the waters under the earth, do not bow and worship to them. Do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I bring the consequences of a father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me. But I show faithful love to those of a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. And then verse number seven, we come to commandment three, which we're looking at today. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We know it better within our culture today as thou shalt not take the Lord, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And then he says, because the Lord will not leave alone unpunished anyone who misuses his name. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you will speak to us. Help us to apply the truth not only to our lives and to our actions, but to our very hearts. Father, it must be applied to our hearts if our actions are going to be sincere. So I pray this morning that I would get out of the way and you would speak. In Jesus' holy and precious and magnificent name we pray. Amen. So today we're focusing on commandment number three, and we see that again in verse number seven. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name, or do not take his name in vain. How many of you have ever heard that before? Don't take God's name in vain, right? How many of you t heard that and say, okay, that means that, that saying God's name in vain, that's a cuss word, right? And what's the punishment for cussing? All kinds, of, all kinds of fun stuff if you grew up in my house. All kinds of fun stuff. So the question that we're looking at this morning, first of all, is what does it truly and honestly mean to take God's name in vain? Because culturally, even within the church, I think sometimes we only have a small piece of what the whole commandment means. And I think when we only have that small piece and we think, man, that's easy. I'll just cut God out of my profane vocabulary and everything is going to be fine. Commandment three, check mark. Let's go on to commandment number four. But we're only getting a small piece of what the whole commandment means. So it goes deeper than just not having God, not saying God's name as a cuss word. Now, how many of you, if, how many of you played sports growing up, whether it was men's sports, women's sports, co-ed sports? Okay, played sports growing up. So when you get into competitive ball, and when I, played, I played baseball pretty competitively when I was a kid and everything, played on some, played on some, uh, you know, some all-star teams and stuff like that, and, and, and most of you know that already. I'm not trying to relive my glory days. I'm just saying that to set the stage. I had these coaches that... We're not always the most uh, clean with their language, I guess you could say. But it was really not near as bad as the rest of the players. You know, when you're playing sports, for some reason, uh, the guys on the, on the team, they would, like, make it an art form to, like, use profanity. They would, like, string off these, like, profane words all the time. I, or else it was just on the teams that I ended up on. Maybe, it was on, maybe I was just on the, always on the Bay Bay teams. But we always won championships, so I guess it's okay. Um, anyway, now I am bragging a little bit. Um, <laughs> it wasn't because of me, trust me. So I had this one coach. And after one of our practices, man, I guess he was just kind of tired of the way some of the guys were talking and everything. So he sat us down and he said, look, he said, when it comes to your language, I got one rule. He said, <laughs> he said this, everything is fair game except for God's name. 
That's the way he said it. He said, everything is fair game except for God's name. What he was saying is, you can talk as horrible as you want to, but if you use the name of God or you use the name of Jesus, you're going to be punished. He said, you're going to run suicides. You're going to run poles. If I catch you doing it again, the whole team will run suicides and will run poles. I guess it was his way of making sure that the latter part of commandment number three, you know, that every, no one will go unpunished who misuses his name. I guess it was his way of carrying that out or something like that. But for some reason, he was just like, that was his pet peeve. You can say anything you want to. You just can't use God's name in vain. So never mind the fact that our team was so potty mouth that it would make like demons blush. We just didn't use God's name. I don't think that's exactly the point of the third commandment here. The point of the third commandment goes further than what's in our tongue. It goes down into what produces the words on our tongue, which is our heart. The third commandment is if you're not using God's name in vain, that is evidence of the fact that God rules your heart. And if he rules your heart, he's not going to just rule your tongue. He's going to rule your life. He's going to rule your actions. He's going to rule your motivations. He's going to rule everything. This is the depth of the third commandment. The depth of the third commandment goes deeper than our tongues. It gets down into the core of who we are. And that's why many of us are sitting there thinking, you know what, the third commandment, I got this. I haven't said God's name in vain since before I got saved, right? Especially if you had an upbringing like me, you don't struggle with this one. Because you had a mom or a dad who would make sure that if you ever used your tongue to say God's name in vain, you would not have a tongue left to say it with. Right? Or you're like Ralphie on a Christmas story. You remember? You have been had your mouth washed out with soap so many times that you have found out which soap brand has a nice after-dinner flavor. Right? He became a connoisseur of the soaps. So we think, okay, I'm not taking God's name in vain. So everything, everything is fine. I've got commandment number three taken down. But the phrase take God's name or misuse his name is more than saying his name. See, that phrase, taking his name, has kind of a marital connotation to it. When women get married, they say, they have the choice, will I take the last name of my husband? And in some cultures, they do it vice versa, or they'll hyphenate or whatever. They'll take the name, and what it is, it's, a, it's an idea that two are becoming one. I am no longer just myself. I am joining in with this. This is what we do when we come to follow Christ. We are taking the name of Jesus. This is why in the New Testament we're called the Bride of Christ. This is why in the Old Testament God's people were called His chosen nation. They took His name. When we follow Christ, we are taking His name. And as we take His name, His name goes with us everywhere. And so that's what kind of leads us to the big idea today. We take God's name in vain each time and in every way we misrepresent who God is and what He is about. That's a little bit more strict than just saying, don't drop a G-bomb here and there. It's a little more strict, isn't it? It goes a little deeper. What we actually do is we take God's name every time we misrepresent Jesus and God to the world. I don't know about you, but I, didn't, I, I misrepresent God in a lot of ways a lot of times. So that means I violated the third commandment. We do this in a lot of ways and just about every day of our life. You see, God's name is a reflection of who he is and what he is about. Our names, not so much anymore in our culture, but in the ancient culture, a name reflected who they were or what their parents had been praying they would end up being. For instance, my name is Derek. That's the name that my mother gave me 41 years ago today. You know what the name Derek means? It means great leader. 
she nailed it, didn't she? I mean, couldn't have got it much more right, you know? Great leader and ruler. Look at there. I mean, it's like she was just prophesying over me. No, I'm just teasing. We're Baptist church. We're Baptist church. Can't do that. All right. So I think she nailed it. She also nailed it with my brother, who's Adam, which means dirty, rotten sinner who messed everything up for everybody else. <laughs> It'd be so much better if he was here to hear that. <laughs> Scripture tells us that the Israelites had observed so much reverence for the name of God. They had come to find out that Yahweh was a name they could not even speak because they did not feel righteous enough to even tie their name and speak the name with their mouth. This is the reverence that we should have for the name of our God. Not that we shouldn't speak his name. We've been given the privilege and the commission to speak his name to the nations. But we have to make sure that we're speaking it and showing it and representing it in a proper way. And I don't think we're doing that by and large. That's the point of the third commandment. They didn't do this because of the letters and the sounds sounding this way. It was what they were representing when they talking about. So we've taken his name. We bear his name. We take the name of Jesus with us everywhere we go. So as believers, his name, his nature are all implied in our every word, in our every action. It's more than just cutting God and Jesus out of your crass vocabulary. So with that groundwork laid, let's talk a little bit about how we are supposed to take God's name. And the rest of the outline this morning, just these two points that we're going to go over, comes really from a quote that I heard from Dr. Adrian Rogers a couple of years ago, and it was this. He said, when it comes to the name of God and how you treat God's name, you can either abuse it by taking it in vain, or you can use it properly by taking it in victory. I love the way he put that. So that's why I want to kind of make that just really the two points of the message this morning. When it comes to how you treat the name of God, am I abusing it by taking it in vain, or am I using it properly by taking it in victory? I want to look, first of all, at how we abuse his name, how we take his name in vain many times. And the first way, obviously, is, we, is what we all know, is what we all try to guard ourselves against, hopefully, is by taking his name in vain by just with our profanity and with our language and the way we use his name. This is the one that everybody kind of says, well, I, I pretty much have a handle on it. I mean, even non-believers, even people who don't necessarily call themselves Christian are still saying, hey, I don't want to take God's name in vain. By the way, have you ever noticed that it's always God's name that gets taken in vain? You ever notice that? Like even in texting, you know, nobody ever texts OMB, right? For like, oh, my Buddha. No, they text OMG, right? So, you know, some of y'all, y'all got OMG as one of your like autocorrect words. That's, you just, you, just, you just go to that one really fast. So this is for you, right? See, we seek sometimes, and this is another way we take, our, we take his name in vain. So let's move past the one we kind of already know about. The other way we take God's name in vain is that when we try to make our name more famous than his name. You see, we all still struggle with the sin of pride, don't we? And each time we care more about what people think about us, how much people know about us, whether we're famous, whether we're getting all the money, whether we're having all the power, whether we have all the clout, we care more about that than honoring God. We care more about making our name famous than his. And that is taking God's name in vain as well. Because there is no alternate universe, not even this universe, where you are better than God or me. I'm not better than God. So my name doesn't deserve to be more famous than his. So if my life is about just making Derek known, if my life in this church is just about making Graceway known, we're taking God's name collectively in vain. It's about making Jesus known, Jesus famous. 
See, what we often do sometimes, the way we live our lives is we take what John the Baptist said in the New Testament and we reverse it. We're a lot of times living our lives in reverse of what he said. When he said, he must increase, but I must re decrease, we reverse that and say, he must decrease, but I must increase. And a lot of us sometimes look at God and say, he's my path to greatness. He's my path to being a celebrity. We've got to be careful not to do that. And then the next thing we often sometimes do is we associate God's name with things that it should never be associated with in the first place. See, a great example here is like the Crusades of way back in history. You remember studying the Crusades in history back in the Middle Ages? You see, God had told the Old Testament Israelites to go in and to conquer lands and to kill people at different times, but that was a completely different time. It was a completely different age. It was a completely different purpose. See, what we have to understand is we, the Gentiles, the church, America, we are not Israel in any way, shape, or form. A lot of what God did for Israel does apply to us, but we don't have the same role in God's plan. But what they did back in the Crusades is they took all those Old Testament passages, they went in and conquered lands and took them for their own, and they slapped a cross on their shields, and they carried a flag with them, and they rushed in, and they took, they took lands from the Muslims, and they killed people, and they did all this in the name of Jesus, but behind it was a heart of greed and land grabbing by nobles. We do this today, don't we? We stick God on everything that we're really, really for. And we think, man, if I stick God's name on that, then it makes it even better and more powerful. God is not our mascot. We are his servants. We are his servants. So we associate his name with the things that he should never really be associated with. We also sometimes speak on behalf of God when he hasn't spoken about it. So we're all familiar with the idea of forgery, right? Taking and forging something, signing somebody else's name to something. Today we call it identity theft. Anybody ever had your Facebook account hacked and all of a sudden you're getting calls from people saying, why are you sending me a message asking me for a lung? You know, or asking me for, you know, to, to buy into this Ponzi scheme or something like that. You're like, I never sent that message because you got hacked and somebody is speaking for you on your behalf things that you would never want to say. We do this with God all the time. One time in high school, I told a girl that I wanted to break up with, you know what God told me last night I needed to break up with you. <laughs> so after prayer and fasting, I've never fasted a day in my life, it doesn't look like. After prayer and fasting, God told me I needed to break up with you. She's like, well, I can't argue with God. And she's like, you know what? God told me the same thing. So it's weird. He told us the same thing at the same time, you know. So we sometimes will blame God for things that he doesn't need to be blamed for. That's taking God's name in vain. We also sometimes slap God's name just flippantly on things, right? Like the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts or back like in the 90s and stuff. Like when I was a teenager, the big thing was to take like famous brands and like tweak them a little bit to make them like popular Christian slogans or phrases and stuff. So like you had the Tide logo and it had Jesus across there and he says the ultimate stain remover. Uh, you know, you had the, the Nike logo and it said, uh, it said something like Air Jesus or something like that. And it had a memory verse that talked about being swept up in the sky and all that stuff. Not only, not only is it taking God's name, but it's also copyright infringement. So just remember that, okay? Or the bumper stickers, like God is my co-pilot. First of all, you got the seating messed up. Or even something like even something as simple as a church sign, a church sign. And listen, I used to do the church signs all the time. Sometimes you had to be creative, and other times you just took God's name in vain. Like, come to our Holy Ghost weenie roast. That just doesn't. Not only is it taking His name in vain, 
Not only is it taking his name in vain, it's just corny, man. <laughs> Even if you're serving corn dogs at the weenie roast, it's corny. All right? Now, of course, I'm being funny here, but here's the thing. Do we really want to just reduce God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to a catchy slogan or an advertising scheme? No. We also take it in vain when we treat his name too lightly. We'll, intername his, we'll interject his, na his name in jokes or being sarcastic with his name. or We let his name slip in, in matters that really don't call for his involvement. Walking across the floor and you stub your toe on the wooden coffee table that's been sitting in the same place for decades. And you let out a G-bomb. Let's stop and think about that. First of all, are you really wanting to send that coffee table to an eternal hell where it will burn in flames just for being a coffee table? All it did was sit there. But we involve God's name in the things that he would never want to be part of to begin with. When we don't worship God in a way that honors his name completely. We take on the name of God as, as followers of God, but then worship him in sloppy and apathetic ways. It's just droning out words. It's just droning out going to, to church and being there for the church schedule. Or we overreact in worship. You know, and I'm not saying if you do this that this is the only reason, but there are so many, many people sometimes who try to make a show of their worship. I came in early this morning and Ryan was working with our worship team and I love how he opened it up. He said, guys, he said, your worship is not to be forced. It's supposed to be from the overflow of what God has done for you in this week. He said, so if God leads you to lift your hand like a child to Abba, Father, that's great. But don't be doing that because you think it's just going to look good on the stage. I love that. Because sometimes we'll overreact or we'll try to do things in worship that are not really God's involvement. We're just doing it to try to manufacture something we don't worship in a way that truly honors his name. We oftentimes will openly live in sin after taking God's name. Say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I've surrendered all to his lordship in my life. But then we want Jesus to surrender everything to what we want to do. I've used that example of the, of the guy or the, or, the, or the woman who says, you know, God just truly wants me to be happy. So he's okay with me leaving my spouse. Because ultimately he wants me to be happy. You've just accused God of something that he never said in his word that he wants. We make a bunch of, of laws and rules in God's name as well. We'll take our preferences and make them doctrine. In a lot of ways, we take God's name in vain. Taking God's name in vain rep misrepresents God, but it reveals a lot about us, about us. The way we talk is an indicator of our character. Jesus said the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart in the book of Matthew. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart, and our hearts are desperately wicked. So when we use God's name in vain, when we live the way we're talking about, it shows just a lack of understanding of God. It shows a lack of understanding of where he brought us from and what it cost him to get us to that place. It cost him his son. It also shows a contempt for God. Using God's name flippantly and in vain means that I love myself so much it causes me to contempt, to have contempt against God. It'll also show a heart of contempt for our fellow man. One of the things is when somebody will, will say GD to somebody, or they'll tell a person to go to hell. Do you know how much hatred it has to take for you to wish for somebody to spend all of eternity in a place that you just crawled on your hands and knees to the Savior to ask to be taken from yourself? It's like, I've got cancer and found the cure, but my wife got cancer and... <laughs> I don't care if she dies or not. That's how much hatred you have to have for somebody. 
And then it also shows a lack of understanding of God's desires for man. Because you realize that when we say, we, we say God damn a person or we, want it, we, we, we tell a person go to hell, what we're doing is we're asking God to do something that in his word he tells us he doesn't want to do one iota. He sent his own son so that he wouldn't have to do it. So we have asked God to do something that's completely against his desire for us or even for our enemies. This shows how broken our hearts really are. It shows how vile our hearts really are. Again, when we see the Ten Commandments, it shows how holy God is, but it also reveals the true nature of our hearts. We're all guilty of breaking the Third Commandment. So with that in mind, ask yourself, am I keeping the Third Commandment as well as I thought I have been? See, every one of us to some degree have broken the Third Commandment. We see it within the proper framework. As New Testament Christians, we've taken the name of Christ, our Savior and our Lord. He is our Savior. The very name Christian means little Christ, little Jesuses. It means I'm Christ-like. I've taken his name. The question is, how well am I representing what that name implies? The one that we don't think too much about, that commandment that we don't think too much about, all of a sudden becomes the one that we probably struggle with the most. And the commandment is serious, right? I mean, look at, look at the result of taking God's name in vain. Back in verse number 7 again. He says, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God because what? Because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. There are no loopholes to this. We take his name in vain, there will be a price to pay. See, it was in Genesis chapter 2 that the decree, the decree went forth that if you sin, you will die. Genesis 2, after, once again, Adam messed everything up. Everyone dies. This is the punishment. The punishment for sin has to be carried out. The book of Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. But then I love the second part of that verse. But the gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, every person in this room is guilty of the third commandment. Every one of us stand condemned guilty. It doesn't matter how clean your language is. It doesn't matter if you haven't, haven't had to put a dollar in the swear jar since like 1974. We are all still guilty of taking God's name in vain each time we misrepresent his character through sin. Which leads us to the transition that we've all got to be asking. So is there a way out of this? How do I escape this guilt? Yes, there is. And it's by taking his name the proper way, by taking it in victory. And there's only one way to take his name the proper way, and that is to call on the name of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. We all stand condemned in our sin. The only way that we can be made righteous is by calling upon the name of Jesus Christ, the one and only name who heals us, who saves us, who will call us his own. Isn't it ironic that we are released from the guilt of, of taking God's name in vain by uttering God's name in desperation? Isn't that interesting? We are released from the guilt of taking God's name in vain by uttering God's name in desperation. 
Only Christ adequately represented the name of God. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the only person in history to live up to the name that God gave him. Several times in Christ's life, he was confronted by people and asked, are you really who people are saying you are? He said, well, who are people saying that I am? And he says, they're saying that you're the son of God. He says, that's right. He owned it. He owned the name, and he's the only one who took the name of God and wore the name of God with accuracy, wore the name of God perfectly, because not only was he 100% man, he was 100% God. He was tempted in every which way that we are, the Bible says, yet without sin. He wore the name right. And because he wears his name, he loves us in mercy enough to give us his name. So he went to the cross, and he shed his blood, and he covered our sin, and he wore the name guilty so that we could wear the name guiltless. That's why the gospel takes the Ten Commandments and makes us understand them so much. Because the Ten Commandments were not given for our judgment, they were given for our enlightenment to understand our need for a Savior. The law, the Bible says in Galatians, was our schoolmaster that was holding us there, but it showed us our need for Jesus Christ. See, throughout the Old Testament, the name of God is precious, it's holy, it's strong, and it's everlasting. And when you get to the name, uh, to the New Testament, you find that the name of Jesus embodies all of this, but it also embodies something that we all desperately need, and that is salvation from our sins and deliverance from death by the grace of God. And here's what it says so many times throughout the New Testament. And anytime you see a concept repeated, it's because God says it's important enough. Don't miss this. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 1. It says, she, speaking of Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, I love this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Even your worst enemy. Even the most vile creature to ever walk this earth can be saved by uttering the name of Jesus. Calling upon the name of Jesus. Because he, the perfect, sinless Son of God took our sin and took our guilt and our shame. We can now take his righteousness, we can take his resurrection, and we can have his glory. In my place, Jesus absorbed my punishment so I could absorb his righteousness. And because he died in our place, because he does that, we can share in his resurrection. He suffered God's wrath for us. When it says in the end of verse number 7 of our text, no one will go unpunished who misuses the name of God unless they call upon Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He fulfills the third commandment by saying, no one will go unpunished, but they can be saved by the name of Jesus. This is why we claim as our anthem, victory in Jesus. Remember that song? Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. 
You can use his name in vain or you can use it in victory. The choice is yours. See, on the cross, as we go to invitation, on the cross, he wore the name guilty so that after we call his name, we could wear the name guiltless. And that's the question today. Are you wearing his name? Even after we come to know him, how are you wearing it today? Are you bearing it accurately? You see, it's so much more than just removing God and Jesus from our crass vocabulary. Hopefully there isn't any crass vocabulary, but it's more than just removing him from stuff like that. It's making, it's installing him in our every aspect of our lives. The third commandment is not about removing him. It's about installing him in everything that has to do with our lives. It's more than not putting a weird bumper sticker on my car. I can't just man up and say, all right, I'm going to watch my tongue from now on. This commandment shows that our heart is broken and only can be made whole by Jesus Christ. So we have to recognize his greatness. And when we do that, we realize that his name is mighty to save. His name is beautiful. His name speaks justice. It speaks salvation over us. It speaks love and mercy and grace. His name is greatly to be praised. Seeing this puts us on the path of sanctification as well and living in reverence and honor of his name rather than apathy and misrepresentation. So this morning I've been speaking to two, to two people, all of them, those who know Christ and those who do not know him yet. And I say that with optimism. I don't want to say who don't know Christ because no one has to live in ignorance of Christ. And no one should. If you know Christ as your Savior, you've taken his name. So the question I asked this morning is, are you taking it in vain? Are you abusing it in the way you live your life, in the, way you, in the way you speak, in the way you think, in the way you act? Or are you taking it in victory? Instead of removing his name from your vocabulary, are you installing it in every action of your life? And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you have not taken his name, what is holding you back from it? You may be saying, well, after you talk today, it seems really hard. No, the thing is, it's not. Salvation is a free gift. You call upon the name of Jesus, and then after that, you rest upon the name of Jesus. And as you rest upon the name of Jesus, he begins to fill you with his spirit. And he walks with you, and he becomes your victory. So today, this is not a message to make you afraid of being a Christian. This is a message to make you thirst after more of God, hopefully. But in order for us many times to come to that thirsting for God, we have to realize just how dry we really are because we kind of fool ourselves to think that we're doing great. Or that we, when we look at it, we say, well, I'm only doing a little bit of it okay. When we could be completely and totally sold out to him. So as we bow our heads this morning and as we close our eyes and we go into a time, just an attitude of prayer, let me ask you that this morning. If you've taken the name of Jesus, if you've taken the name of God, how are you taking it today? How are you wearing that name wherever you go? Does he dominate your thought life? Does he dominate everything about you? Or is he just an accessory that you wear on Sundays? Or when you want to post something that maybe gets some likes on Facebook? See, God's not an accessory. He's the whole package. So as a Christian, we can't just make him a mascot. We must make him our God, our Lord, because that's who he is. 
If you're not saved today, he wants to be your God, and he's made a way for you to do that, and is to call upon the name of his son. So if you don't know this morning if you're saved, the Bible says very clearly that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this morning, if you would pray something like this, right where you're at, repenting of your sins and calling upon him, say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I trust you to be my savior. I want salvation today. I don't know what all it will entail for my life, but I trust you and I'm giving you my life. Take me to heaven when I die. Help me now to live for you in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, the Bible says that you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and anyone who does that will be saved. Now it's a matter of bearing that name, wearing that name, wherever you go. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you're here, tell us before you leave. If you trusted Christ just now, on the live stream, comment there below or send us a message right there, a direct message or email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com because we just want to celebrate with you and we want to help you on that journey, on that journey of following God and bearing his name for the world to see. But as we get ready to sing this morning, I want to ask as time of personal reflection, is there some repentance that needs to be made? I'll tell you what, I had to repent a lot before I came here today. Because I realized this morning, I realized actually this week while I was praying, I'd really just been one of those guys just cutting it out of my, cutting it out of my language, you know, trying not to be so flippant about things. He is my God. He's not my punchline. He's not my mascot. He's not my accessory. He's not my fairy godfather. He is my God. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And he deserves my respect. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.